0: Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to you, O Israel. This was the song on the hearts of the people of God who longed for the arrival of the Messiah, their Savior King. Many had come claiming to be the Messiah, but each one died, and the people's situation remained the same. They waited and waited and waited. How long would he be? How many more generations would pass before their Savior would come? to deliver them from their enemies and establish a kingdom that would never end. Simeon was old and gray, waiting his whole life for the arrival of the Messiah. He was a righteous man and had been promised by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts, he swept a child up into his arms and gave glory to God because God had fulfilled his promise. The child in his arms was the Messiah who would bring salvation to the entire world. Simeon could now die in peace because God had fulfilled his promise. Simeon seems like an odd choice to be among the first to encounter The Messiah. He's old and he won't be able to influence many with this newfound knowledge. But then again, the Christmas story is replete with surprises and odd choices. A poor virgin carries the child to term and has the baby near the animals. The legitimacy of the child's birth will constantly be in question because everyone knows that Joseph isn't the father. Lowly shepherds are the first to hear the good news of this baby by an army of angels singing praise to God. Astronomers from the East, foreigners, pagans, come to worship him and bring him the gifts of a king. The baby's cousin also has a miraculous birth, but his dad becomes mute for a while because he refuses to believe the miracle. And then there's Anna. After Simeon praises God, blesses the baby's parents, and prophesies a divisive and tragic future for the child and his mother, a woman named Anna comes onto the scene. Don't worry, we'll get back to Simeon and his prophecy but Anna. In our minds, Anna would be another unusual suspect. She's been a widow for many years, and she's rather eccentric. She's at the temple day and night, fasting and praying. She's a prophet, and the author of Luke goes to lengths to legitimize her so that we take her seriously. But for all intents and purposes, Anna is another unknown person without any power yet she is given the privilege of being one of the first to hear of the Messiah and to meet him. The saying, God works in mysterious ways, could not be truer. God chooses to first reveal the Messiah to poor, to outsiders, to pagans, to the elderly, and to women. If you and I were to strategize how we might most effectively communicate important news, we would likely seek out reputable, powerful, well-known people with a platform. We wouldn't look for unusual suspects who are among the, most least, who are among the least reputable, least esteemed people. Now, if Luke desired an audience, he definitely shouldn't have included Anna. Women weren't reputable witnesses and had much less of a voice than women do in our culture. Yet Luke decided to continually share the voice of women throughout his gospel, and he did this in a unique way. Luke placed stories of women and men side by side 27 times throughout the gospel of Luke. 27 times. There's the story of Zechariah, and then there's the story of Mary, receiving news of their children's miraculous births. There's the story of Simeon, and then there's the story of Anna. There's the story of Jesus healing a, blind ma- uh, uh, healing a man, and then Jesus healing a woman. There's the story of Jesus' male disciples and female disciples responding to his resurrection, and on and on and on throughout the gospel. Twenty-seven male-female pairs in the gospel of Luke. Though his culture didn't esteem women, Luke wanted to clearly communicate that women were not simply to be esteemed, they were to be models for discipleship, and that God was up to something new. God was not simply doing something big within an old cultural model. God was doing something new, something unpopular, something revolutionary. Quoting from Mary from Luke 1 in her song, God was lifting up the humble. When I was young, I wanted to be one of the guys. In my experience, the guys were the ones with the cool jobs and the ones people listened to. Guys were respected and were the leaders. I remember saying to my sister when I was in fifth grade, if I were a guy, I would be a pastor. I didn't think anything else about it, just a simple statement like that. To me, men were pastors. I didn't see female role models in the pulpit, and I also thought that pursuing the pastoral path would be futile, because something that I had been told was that no one listens to women. Men don't listen to women, and women don't listen to women. I don't know if I heard this statement once or if I heard it many times, but this became a tape ingrained in my memory, and I still find it lurking in there. No one listens to women, not men, not even women. My inclination is that my tape is not yours, but that we all have tapes which have played for many years, which are untrue or are no longer helpful. And these tapes are powerful. They can be debilitating and cause us to feel disqualified. But the amazing gift of the gospel is that no one is disqualified. No one is counted unworthy. And it is to those who are the most lowly esteemed and discounted by society that the good news first comes to a young woman, to shepherds, to an elderly man, to an elderly widow, to pagans. If we take a look at the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we note the unusual cast of characters that Matthew lists as Jesus' ancestors. In his day, these, many of these people would be people that would have been left out so that it could look even better to legitimize Jesus birth. Matthew includes people in a family tree that should never have been spoken publicly. And people who would have been left out. He includes women, foreigners, evil kings, murderers, prostitutes, poor, and the list goes on and on. The good news is not reserved for the rich, the highly esteemed, the accomplished, or even just men. As the angel proclaimed to the shepherds, the good news is a great joy for all people. As Mary and Joseph go to the temple to present Jesus, they do so as humble peasants who know that this child was born for the glory of God. Unlike our Old Testament lesson, which gave instructions for parents to redeem or to buy back their firstborn sons, Luke writes that Mary and Joseph go to the temple to present Jesus to the Lord. Like the boy Samuel, who was given to the Lord in service to him, Jesus is presented to the Lord. Jesus is the Lord's. In his miraculous conception and birth announcements, Mary and Joseph have heard that their son is from God, that he is the son of God, and that he will be king forever. But what this means, they are left to wonder. Luke writes that Mary ponders these things in her heart. Who this child is exactly, and how he will accomplish his purpose, they have no idea but Simeon reveals quite a bit in his prophecy in Luke. First, he praises God that this baby is the salvation for all people and the glory of Israel. Then, in verse 34, he says to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. It's not going to be sunshine and rainbows for Jesus. Yes, he will bring honor to many. He will cause many who are lowly to rise. And he will cause many to fall. Many will utterly reject him. They will not like the purpose for which Jesus has come and will not believe that he is the Son of God for all people. He will be put to death, revealing their hearts. And Mary too will participate in that suffering. When most others will have fled, Mary will remain at the cross and will enter into Jesus' suffering. Indeed, a sword will pass through her heart too. Amazingly, as Mary hears these words of Simeon, she doesn't reject them. As she did not reject the angel's words that she would become the mother of the son of God, so she does not reject Simeon's words that both she and her son will suffer. Mary is an incredible model of discipleship. She is faithful, obedient, thoughtful, and willing to risk her honor and safety for God's purposes. She is a servant Of the Lord. She is a model, especially for those who have suffered because of their children. The story of Jesus and those to whom God chooses to reveal him is truly remarkable. It's a story you and I would never make up, and one we're tempted to forget and tame. We are tempted to forget that those who first encountered were the greatest cast of unusual suspects and the exact ones chosen to reveal Jesus. They are the unusual suspects, the ones who would have been chosen if a person wanted to delegitimize their purpose. We're tempted to forget that Jesus was viewed with disdain as an illegitimate child. We're tempted to forget that Jesus wasn't good news for everyone. Yes, he was good news for the world because of the healing he would bring, but he was hated by many, and he was killed for it. His mother and his disciples suffered too, and many who have followed since have died and suffered for it. It is so difficult to enter into suffering and to follow the path that requires sacrifice and risk. Yet, if it is the path that God has called you into, God will be faithful to bring about good through it. And that good will likely look unlike what you anticipate. You'll be tempted to reject the path many times. And like Jesus' closest disciples, you will reject it. You will prove to be faithless many times. And you will wonder what in the world you are doing. After all, you're not that special or that important, spiritually speaking. Sacrifice and suffering can be left to the religious elite. You're just a regular person, so you'll lead a regular, tame life. But of course I'm being facetious. Not about failing to be faithful at times, but about being called to a tame life, and that there are spiritual noobs and spiritual elites God created you out of his great love for you, and his purpose for you in this life is no less important than anyone else's. Chances are, if you're in a position that society doesn't esteem, God may choose to bestow upon you the greatest honor and reveal himself to you in a way that only God can. Praise be to God. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For the mighty one has done great things for us. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Glory to God in the highest. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, you are unlike us. The way that you work and move and have your being and choose to reveal yourself is unlike, unlike any of us. If we wanted to be powerful and to make our name known and to, to do something important, we wouldn't have chosen to become a baby and to show ourselves to the people that society doesn't esteem. But God, you are so different. We thank you for that. We thank you that your gospel is good news for all people. We pray that we would not reject that good news, especially when it is difficult. God, we, we know that how we would like to write our lives and And what we would like to do in life is uh, more tame than what you might call us to. So we pray for faithfulness and courage for whatever it is that you call us to. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.